0: This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, And for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And the, the text that I've got for today is verse 14 satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And my my heart's desire is that today, through what we can see in God's word, that we will get a better view of his steadfast love and we will indeed be Glad and be able to rejoice this morning and through all our days, but the first question is what is god 's steadfast love the 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 translation of a word and the, the best I can pronounce it is hesed i 'm sure it 's a little more guttural in the uh, original language, um, but it is. Uh, as I read somewhere, um, God's love in action, and to my mind, it's it's very akin to um, the Greek agape, you know, which is God's love, which is about seeking the benefit of others, of those that we care for, and God's steadfast love is how He seeks to care for those that He cares for to see that the best comes to them. The, I think the, uh, the King James translates it wonderfully, or delightfully probably than wonderfully, as loving kindness. And that is a, that's a beautiful phrase. And what I want us to see today is God's loving kindness. So that when we actually come to the table we're fully aware of God's loving kindness to us and what it means to us. And when we then come to worship, again, that our hearts might be full of God. Let's just think a little bit about this psalm, just to to kind of set the context. Because although obviously Moses is talking about the Israelites as they were somewhere in the wilderness... Uh, wandering around and uh, being disobedient and getting uppity with God and wanting their way and getting fed up with his provision. Um, And the result of that was that um, they were on, as it were, the rough end of God's wrath, of his anger. They needn't have been. After 18 months or two years, they could have entered the land. Um, They could have crossed the Jordan and entered the land, but they were afraid. They chose not to trust trust God and chose not to go in. And God then consigned them to wander in the wilderness. for. We were discussing on, on Wednesday whether it was actually 38 or 40 years. Suffice it to say, a long time and sufficient time for all of those over the age of 20 to have died because God said none of those would enter the land (coughs) and you can see um, you know why Moses says the things he says there about being um, you know for all our days pass away under your wrath and uh, um where I've lost my place verse Verse 9 yep for all our days uh, pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh because it was hard for Israel wandering around in the wilderness uh, receiving the outworking of God's wrath because they had been disobedient and the same is true Uh, For man today, in our natural state, we are the recipients of God's wrath. And that makes it hard for us in the long term. Because we know that the reason we are the just recipients of God's wrath is because man is naturally rebellious. We choose to go our own way. We choose to ignore God. And as a result of that, we know that there will be a day when the Lord Jesus returns. And if we're still in that condition, then we will receive the just punishment for our rebellion. And that's, uh, and effectively, we commit an infinite sin. I mean, our our own personal sins are obviously finite because we're limited people, but it's against an infinite God. And therefore, uh, a price has to be paid. And God does that out of justice. He's righteous. And righteousness means that justice must prevail. And if there is sin, if there is disobedience, there is a just reward for that. And that is the outworking of God's wrath and we see it also in our daily lives because the world is yes a cursed world so ultimately the world is fallen and that's the outworking of God's wrath way back from uh, the fall but we see how sinful man goes his own way and creates the world in an ever increasing depth of mess and we have to live in that and we succumb to that and so just as Israel was under God's judgment and wrath. Mankind today is under God's judgment and wrath. And that's why this psalm is a parallel. And the other thing that is also still true for us is that our days are like that. In God's sight, the eternal God, from everlasting to everlasting, we our our lives of 70 or 80 years are but a moment past. It says they're like, you know, yesterday. Uh, Yesterday when it's gone. And if you think for a moment about yesterday, when we think about yesterday we probably take a couple of seconds. If we really want to meditate on yesterday we might take five or ten minutes. And it's as if our entire life, from God's perspective, is that limited is that brief. It's here and it's gone, like the grass of the field. It's there and withers under the sun and is gone. (coughs) And therefore, (coughs) excuse me, Moses says in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? You could also read that as who knows the power of your anger. And the point Moses is getting here is that we're actually so spiritually thick that we don't really understand the magnitude of sin. We don't really understand the magnitude of God's just wrath in response to sin. It is as if it is beyond our comprehension. And Moses is saying there, who knows it? and the answer is nobody knows it and as a result of that um, we don't fear God as we ought now for Christians I know that God loves us and we love him and love deals with that immense fear that terror that could be upon us but we don't it's hard for us to even glimpse the magnitude of God's righteous wrath and therefore to fear it and for those of us who are blessed with God's love that is to respect him awesomely and so Moses says teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom another way of reading that would be teach us to reckon our days because what he's trying to get at here is not just recognize that our lives are of a limited span but to understand the nature of our lives so that we reckon our days we understand what our days are about what life is about what it is what's the reality of the mess that we're in and he says that so that we get a heart of wisdom and of course the mind goes immediately to Proverbs where the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom but here he's saying we haven't got the fear of God so God please please bootstrap us please start us up give us some wisdom so we can start to understand that and then he goes on to say have pity on your servants satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days because he's saying that for ourselves alone, apart from God, there's actually very little to have joy about in the world. I know we can look at God's creation and, and, and uh, be amazed at it and wonder at it. But in terms of the things that actually count, there is very little for human joy in the world. Because apart from God, we are destined for hell. And yet Moses here says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. With that love of yours, God, that you promised to Israel. With that love that God has promised to those people who are his. And that love that works for our benefit. And in a moment, we'll go on and see and think about some of the ways that works for our benefit. But believe you me, it does. And that is why, when we see, when God satisfies us with his steadfast love, we can be glad and we can rejoice. And in part, that's what this is about. It's reminding us about God's steadfast love, that we might be glad and we might rejoice. Be glad in God and rejoice in God. Be glad in what he has done for us when all that Moses said of Israel applies to man. The Psalm 117 tells us also uh, a little more, a little more because it's a little psalm, all the two verses um, about God's steadfast love there is a, an injunction to praise him, I'll just read these two verses praise the Lord all nations extol him all peoples for great is his steadfast love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever, praise the Lord and it says great is his steadfast love yes it's big it's huge because God is infinite but that word it would seem for great also has the implication of prevailing and it's like the psalmist was saying that God's steadfast love for us will prevail God's will cannot be countered. God's purposes will stand and His steadfast love for us will prevail. So when we find ourselves in those places of doubt, we need to remember that God's steadfast love for us will prevail. It will overcome. It will bring glory to him. And it goes on and says, um, Not just is his steadfast love great, but the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. And I think we probably understand faithfulness. It means God is constant. He is consistent. He doesn't change his mind. There is no shadow of turning with him. There's a wonderful um, little verse in Numbers 23, I think it is, in verse 9. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he not speak and act? Does he not promise and fulfil? And that is God's faithfulness. But that faithfulness endures forever. That means it endures for eternity. That means his promises are good for eternity. He will not change his mind. And the things he promises are for us. So not only does his steadfast love prevail, not only does it make us glad, not only does it satisfy us, not only does it enable us to rejoice All the days of our lives, it lasts forever. He is a wonderful, wonderful God. And I then just want to go on briefly and think about the outworking of God's steadfast love. We've seen some of the qualities of God's steadfast love. And I just wanted to look then into Romans 3. Which is where we get to one of those fabulous buts. Glorious buts. And I find it amazing that such a, a lowly little word as but could be so glorious. <clears throat> and if you find Romans 3 and verse 19. We need uh, verse 19 and 20 to understand the context as Steve was saying we need to look what's gone before. Now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin but but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction And it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now just thinking about the law. There are many religions where legal obedience is what brings, or supposedly brings, righteousness. And what Paul is writing here, what God is pointing out here, is that it doesn't work like that. We see in the Old Testament law lots of things that the Jews had to do. But none of those actually made them right with God. None of them did. What they really did was highlighted the fact that they couldn't do it they highlight the fact that we cannot get right with God by virtue of keeping laws, keeping regulations. We can't get right with God, therefore, by works, by things that we do. And the point of law, we read here, is that it helps us to know and understand what sin is. Because we naturally fall short and that's the function of law so if we think that we can do things we can come on Sunday uh, we can take communion whenever the table's set we can do this we can come to the prayer meetings and all of that makes us right with God um, because those are works that we do they're following as it were the unwritten rules of Letchworth Baptist Church or any other church God is saying here no, they don't do that all those things do is highlight your inability to get right with me, to be right with me, to live for me, to worship me, to adore me. And that is the function of sin. Uh, sorry, the function of law. It's not possible for us to be, to get right with God, to be made right with God through the law because we cannot keep it. If we were able to keep it, then yes, I think we could be made righteous with God, but we can't. We can't. That's what it says. We just cannot do it, and therefore that is not, in the human context, that is not the function of law. So how do we get right with God? How does God show us his steadfast love that we might get right with him? That's where the but comes in, that glorious but. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifested uh, manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So God is telling us here that righteousness is absolutely nothing to do, again, with keeping the law, but it is about Christ. It is about the sacrifice he made on the cross. It is about having faith in him and believing in him and nothing else. And he says, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the, the point or the argument that Paul is in in this early part of Romans is actually about the Jewish condition and he's beginning to compare it with the Gentile condition, i.e. with our condition. And what he's saying is there's actually no difference. The Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. They weren't God's chosen people, they were not close to God. And Paul is, or God is saying here, through Paul, that, sorry, there is no difference. The Jews and the Gentiles are in the same condition. And we can project that today to other different groups. We are all in the same condition. There is, we are apart from God, apart from faith. If we don't have faith in Christ, then we are not Made right with God and we will be subject to his wrath. And it is through Christ that we remember here at this table that God brought about that righteousness that we might receive it through faith. And therefore we might be justified by God's grace as a gift. And again that emphasizes there are no works that we can do. It is all of grace. I think as Augustus used to phrase it, God's sovereign grace. God's choice to deliver his grace to us. And therefore it is a gift. And you don't work for gifts, do you? You receive gifts. Somebody comes up and gives you a gift. If you work for something, it's wages. And we know... In here as well, in Romans, we read that the wages of sin, the wages of our life apart from God, are death. And so God justifies us as a gift. He makes us right with Him, provided we have faith in what Jesus did upon the cross. And that's all it takes to have that faith, that belief. And then there's verse 25 there, which I never really noticed this until I was looking for today. Verse 25 says we're redeemed. Uh, Verse 24 says we've got this gift through the redemption that is in Christ. So Christ buys us back from slavery to sin. Um, so that it is in Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Does anybody want to tell me what propitiation is? Putting away wrath. Yeah, a bit more than that. Putting away wrath. It's actually a sacrifice to deflect God's wrath. And that's what the Jews did in their sacrificial system. They would try, and to, or God gave them this means to deal with their sin there and then, to divert God's wrath. But it didn't; di- it wouldn't have diverted God's wrath from an eternal perspective. Only there and then. And the religions, many religions, and certainly uh, the idolatrous religions that involve sacrifice. The sacrifice is all about man making a sacrifice to God to divert His wrath and that's what propitiation is man makes a sacrifice for God to divert his wrath but look at this who makes the sacrifice in verse 25 God God sacrifices God God sacrifices God to divert his wrath is that not amazing that God did that for you did it for me that is awesome absolutely awesome and we are the beneficiaries it's a complete reversal of the way this works in the world God did it for us so not even a sacrifice can we make that makes any difference it's God who has to make the sacrifice and he did and that's what this was about, this is what we remember at the table we remember God making the sacrifice for us and that's God showing his steadfast love could we sacrifice our sons, our children? I would find that very hard to do it's easier for us to sacrifice ourselves perhaps But God sacrificed himself for us. So this is an expression of God's steadfast love. But his steadfast love also carries this through into our daily lives. Because if you're like me, you will be beset with sin. Because as a result of the sacrifice, God now looks at us and he sees Christ's blood and knows that the sacrifice has paid justly for our sin, the penalty for our sin. And therefore he looks at us and he doesn't see our unrighteousness, he sees Christ's righteousness. But we still, we're still human. That's our eternal position. And until we re- go to be with God in heaven, we will be in that condition. That's when we will be perfectly righteous. Until then, we have to put up with ourselves, don't we? But God enables through his steadfast love for us to get hold of this and bring it into our situations now. Because for most of us, I think, who believe, when we catch up with ourselves and realise that we have sinned, we are upset to some degree or other and that can make us feel guilty that can seem like we're building a barrier against uh, between us and God but if you look at 1 John 1 verse 9 <coughs> this has to be one of my favourite verses because I call on it so often <coughs> 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. When we catch up with ourselves if we confess our sins genuinely to God then we can as it were appropriate the righteousness we receive from God through the sacrifice of Christ and know that we are forgiven because the sacrifice forgave all of our sins not just the ones we'd done up to then but all of our sins for all time and what this verse is saying is that all we need do as it were is confess our sins and because God is faithful, he is trustworthy for all time and he is just, the penalty has been paid for our sin by Christ on the cross because he substituted for us, he has already forgiven our sins and this is a reminder that that thing that we're confessing has already been forgiven and therefore we need to receive that forgiveness at that point and there's a further promise to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that means still that even though we might have felt guilty we can trust God because he is faithful that when he looks at us he still sees Christ's righteousness and we are righteous before God as Paul puts it I think in Colossians holy and blameless without blemish and that is amazing And so we can leave those sins that we've fallen into, those sins that we've confessed, with God. And we can continue to walk with him, close to him. What we need to do is be sure that with that confession comes repentance, that we choose to walk a different way, and for that God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, so we can call upon the Holy Spirit, help me please with this sin. I can leave it behind and not go there again. And that is God's steadfast love coming through the cross and working out for us today. And there are all sorts of other ways that that might work. Now, I don't know whether anybody at this point has a, a testimony of how they've seen God's steadfast love at work in them just as we begin to prepare ourselves for the table. You might need a little moment to think about it. <clears throat> Anybody has anything to to share, a thought, a reflection on God's steadfast love? Michael. Is it on? It is. Yes. No, just one thing you said, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you said if we could uh, keep all the rules, uh, we could be r- righteous with God and we could but, I mean, that is, if we could keep all the rules from day one of the day of birth, and also in our heart as well, so it's yeah. not just outward. So That's it's right. A, so it is an impossibility. It is an impossibility. Yes, yes. I really. mean, lo- log- logically it's possible, practically it's not. Yes, quite agreed. Yeah. Sorry, Tony. was oh, or, or the phrase, If we confess our sins um, and God obviously knows our sins before we confess them, yeah, because He obviously knows our hearts, perhaps well sort of, definitely sort of better than we do, yeah, and so confession is more for us in a, in a way, yes, to sort of like acknowledge our sins, if you like, and yeah. and sort of acknowledge that we we need to sort of like change yeah. and it's, so it 's not really like a confession gives us our Gives us forgiveness in that sense. Yeah. It's yes, we we need to confess our sins, but it's more for our benefit than yeah. than if you like for the forgiveness benefit. Yeah, because I think if we if we don't confess them, what we end up doing is hiding from them, That's right. and then we, you know, well. we compound them, and then that builds a barrier with God because we think, oh well, well God must have a downer on us because we're like this, and it just keeps getting worse. Michael believe it's a bit worse than you think. Um, You see, I have a problem with my nose. Um, I have awful sinus problems and what have you. And I got that from my dad. He had problems with his nose as well. He used to use these bit like perfume sprays to spray up his nose and all sorts of things. My sin is there because of Adam. Adam's fall and God imputed his sin to me. So it was absolutely impossible because of the inheritance uh, yes, in the, yes yes you know, yes yeah. because of what I inherited from Adam you know it's an impossibility Yeah, I would agree entirely <laughs> any other what I'd like us to do then just as we we gather around the table is I'd, I'd like two three four of you please to um, just give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for us, for the things that we remember um, here, for his steadfast love.